What a great morning. Thank you guys for that. And, and uh, what a great morning just to see people come into the waters of baptism and know they're taking that next step in their journey with, of faith with, with Jesus Christ. And wow, just an exciting morning. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome, Mountain Park. How are we doing? I'm glad that you're here. Those of you watching us online, thanks so much for tuning in. We're glad that you're here with us as well. And I'm excited. I get to share one of my favorite Bible stories today uh, that I just love. And uh, my name's Dwayne. I serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Mount Park Church. And what that means is I get to serve with some of the most amazing people around. We have a lot of fun and just a great staff. And uh, uh, I'm going to let you in a little secret uh, that you may not know about me. But in our office, uh, I'm kind of uh, known as the dad joke guy. Maybe it's my age, I don't know. And so what I try to do, you know how after lunchtime it gets kind of quiet and people, you know, I try to walk around and, and liven things up. And so I thought, you know what, why don't I help some of you guys do that? So tomorrow you can go to work and you can liven things up in the office. You up for that? We okay with that? All right. Just a couple quick ones here. So here's a, here's a good one, I think. So what do you call two monkeys who share an Amazon account? And if you're in the last service, you can't shout it out. Primates. Okay, you got that one. All right. Here's another quick one. So Jesus and, and the devil are, are both on computers typing an essay. And, and halfway through the essay, the power goes out. 30 seconds later, the power comes back on. The devil lost all his work. Jesus didn't. You know why? Jesus saves. That's right. You knew that one. Very good. Very good. I had one more. I don't have time for it. It was a joke about procrastination, but I'll tell you guys later. So that's, that's not a problem. But uh, today, we are starting a new series called Exile, The Greatest Hits. And I just want to do a, di a disclaimer. We're not talking about the 80s band Exile and their greatest hits. I'll get into what Exile is about in just a minute, but we all understand a greatest hit, right? The greatest hit is that song or that movie that we like to listen to or watch over and over and over again. And I was thinking through this message, it reminded me, um, when I was a bit younger, on Saturday mornings, I used to listen to a show on the radio called America's Top 40 Countdown with Casey Kasem. How many of you remember that? A lot of you listened to that. Yeah, it was, a great, it was a great show. Every Saturday morning, and Casey would, you know, he would play the Top 40 songs, and he would read letters, and, you know, people would send in, and they often made you cry because they were like, this song touched me, and all that type of stuff, and he would share stories. And uh, I would listen hoping that my favorite song would, would go up the chart and hopefully one day make it to number one. Well, this book right here, the Bible, is filled with greatest hits, hits stories, those stories that we love to listen to and hear and read over and over again. You know, stories like, like David and Goliath, right, or, or, or Moses crossing the mighty Red Sea. And um, we love those hit stories because I think they remind us of how great and how powerful and how awesome that our God is. And so that's where we're going to head. Today, our hit song, you just heard it, I Got the Power. Woo! We're gonna say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna be tired of me singing that by the time it's, it just stuck. It's just stuck. Let me hear you guys do it. Ready? One, two, three. Woo! I like that. I may, I may point at you again to do that a little later. My voice gets hoarse on here. But anyway, um, so we're gonna, that's our greatest hit song today, and we're gonna be talking about our story in just a minute. But before I do, I'm gonna ask you a question. How many of you here love a good superhero story? That's right. I love superhero stories. My wife Sherry and I have watched those. 20-something Marvel movies several times. 
And some of you have done that as well. And I love how they put it all together and you get to the end of it and you've got this big climactic scene, right? This big epic battle where, where Thanos has all of his armies over here and, and the superheroes are all over here. And then this battle takes place and Ant-Man gets really big and Spider-Man's swinging around and Thor, or not Thor, but Captain America's throwing Thor's hammer around. And then all of a sudden out of the sky, you know, Captain Marvel blows a hole in Thanos' ship. And then at the end, you know, the, the most narcissistic of all the superheroes, Iron Man, <laughs> makes this great sacrifice and saves the world. And we're like, yes, this is epic. I hope that wasn't a spoiler alert for some of you. <laughs> I figured enough time went by, two, two, three years is enough. But anyway, I love those movies. And I really love my favorite superhero movies are the ones where we get introduced to a new character. I love those movies where the character is just finding out that they've got these powers and they're, they're trying to learn how to use these abilities and they're a little bit awkward, like in the early Spider-Man movies where he's you know, swinging in his web and he, and he just smacks into the wall and stuff like that. Those are fun for me to watch because we get to see how they learn and they develop to use their power. And here's my point. The same is true for you and me. You and I have access to a power that is beyond anything that we can imagine. But to access that power requires some intentionality and it requires some development and some effort. And so today I have a simple big idea. If you've got something, you'll write it down, you can do that. But I want you to remember this. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Here it is. The power of God flows through simple obedience to him. The power of God flows through simple obedience to him. Now, before we get to our story... I want to set, take some time to set up this, this series that we're going to be in for the next several weeks. If you have a journal with you, I want you to pull it out and turn to page 8, okay? Just to show you this real quick. So on page 8 of your journal, you'll see something that says the seven parts of the story. And uh, the story meaning God's word. And the second part of the story here is this, is this section called the Exodus. And the Exodus covers about a thousand years of history, and one of the main storylines within the Exodus is this thing called the exile. Now, <clears throat> I want to get a little nerdy with you for just a couple of minutes, because I think understanding this will help make sense of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. So, explaining this exile thing. So, I'm going to begin with a guy named Abraham. So, God, God comes to this guy named Abraham for whatever reason, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. Now, for a nation to be a nation, you've got to have three things. You've got to have people, not much of a nation without people. You've got to have some kind of law to govern the people, and you've got to have land, some place for the people to live. And so God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham has a son named Isaac, so now there's two. And Isaac has a son named Jacob, now there's three. And eventually, Jacob has a much bigger family. And at the end of the book of Genesis, you can read this, but Jacob and his family heads down, and they move down to a place called Egypt. Now, when Jacob moves to Egypt, there's about 70 people in this great nation. And they're down in Egypt for about 400 years. And two things happen while they're in Egypt. One, they multiply like crazy. They go from like 70 people to probably over 2 million people. And secondly, they become slaves. And so God sends a deliverer. You've heard this story maybe. A guy named Moses who comes in and leads the people out of Egypt. And Moses leads them out into the desert. Now, out in the desert they stop at a place called Mount Sinai. So this, this, this nation, the people, go to, the, go to Mount Sinai, and God meets with them there, and God gives them their law. Um, and God says here, I'm going to set up what's called a theocracy, meaning God rules, okay? We get that. Theos, God, Christi, form of government. God rules. And the people say, sounds good to us. 
From there, God leads them into the promised land. Now, it takes a little while to get there. If you read the story, they, were, they could have made it in a couple of weeks, but they had some little disobedience issues. You know how that is. And it ends up taking 40 years. But anyway, they eventually end up in the promised land. So now you've got your people, you've got your law, you've got your land, you have your nation. After not too long, uh, the people decide, you know, we don't want to be a theocracy anymore. We want to be a kingdom. We want to have kings like everybody else has kings. And so God allows them to have kings. And it's not long before these kings can't get along with each other, and this strife develops, and pretty soon the nation actually breaks into two parts, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom of Israel. And here's what you need to know about these two kingdoms. The southern kingdom had some good kings, kings that you would, you would recognize their names, kings like David or Asa or Hezekiah or Josiah. Those were some of the good kings in the south. The northern kingdom, guess how many good kings they had? Anybody? Zero. Not one. Good answer. Not one good king. In all these years, hundreds of years, not one good king. And so, uh, God says, look, if, 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 uh, if you're not going to be, you know, if you're not going to pay attention to me, if you're not going to be, uh, be, be obedient to me, there, there's going to be problems. And so, um, God, would, God said, I'm going I'm to send other nations in to oppress you. And that's what eventually happens. Now, in order to help the nation of Israel, because God loved them, he would send prophets to them. Prophets to the kings who had messages from God. When a king was being disobedient, God would send a prophet. And so the prophet would come, and here's kind of how it went. Prophet would come to the king and say, King, I have a message to you from God. What's the message? Um, king, you're doing some really dumb stuff. You need to stop. King would say, um, don't tell me what to do. I'm the king. Prophet would say, I'm not telling you what to do. God says, you're doing some really dumb stuff. You need to stop. And more often than not, what would happen is the king would do one of three things. They would either torture the prophet, imprison the prophet, or kill the prophet, or sometimes all three. And it finally gets to the point, to make a long story short, that what eventually happens is that the nation of Israel is taken into exile. God does this in two waves. He sends the Assyrian nation into the northern kingdom and exiles them out, meaning all the people are taken out of the land and exiles them out. And about 140 years or so later, the Babylonian nation comes in and exiles the southern kingdom out and takes all the people out of the land as well. Exile was never God's plan. God had set up this theocracy to say, I love you, I care for you, I will take care of you. If you obey me, it'll be good with you. But if you don't, there's going to be trouble. And so that's what happens, and that's what the exile is all about in Scripture. So for the next few weeks, what we're going to be talking about is these greatest hits or greatest stories of these prophets who came in and warned the kings that exile was coming if they didn't straighten up, they didn't change their ways. And today, one of my favorites, we're talking about this prophet named Elijah in this epic showdown that takes place on Mount Carmel and how God's power flows through him. And remember, the power of God flows through simple obedience to him. So Elijah, if you're wondering, who's this guy? Elijah was a prophet during the time in Israel of a king named Ahab. Here's what you need to know about Ahab. He was evil, all right? And he married a woman who was probably the most evil woman on the planet, all right? Let me show you a couple of verses in 1 Kings that describe Ahab, and you'll get an idea of what kind of a guy this was. 1 Kings 16, beginning in verse 29, it says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria for 22 years. Look at this next verse. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. 
So Ahab's saying, you think the other kings were bad? Wait do they get a load of me, all right? He not only considered trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, another bad king, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. So this guy, this king Ahab, he's just plain evil and his wife is worse. This is not a good combination for the nation of Israel. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to take it out, whether it's a screen that scrolls or pages that turn, and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, and that's where we're going to find our story this morning. It's located in the Old Testament, about a third of the way through your Bible. And as you're turning there, I want, I want to mention something that Elijah and Ahab had met before, before we get to our story. They had met once before, about three years prior God had sent Elijah to Ahab and, and basically warned him and said, look, you've been doing some dumb stuff. I'm not going to allow it to rain. I'm going I'm to make a drought in the land. No rain until I say so. Well, three years later uh, go by, God sends Elijah back to Ahab, and that's where we pick up our story. In verse 16, and here's what it says. Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? So, so check this out. After three years, the first words out of, out of Ahab's mouth is to blame Elijah for the situation that Israel found themselves in. Look at Elijah's response, verse 18. I have not made trouble for you, for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands, there's the disobedience, and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. All right, so Elijah comes in and he sets up this, this showdown that's going to take place. He puts the blame for Israel's problems back where it belongs on King Ahab. And he tells him, look, you're the one that stopped worshiping God. You're the one that started worshiping these false gods of Baal. Now, in case you're wondering who Baal is, Baal is one of these ancient deities. He was known as the god of the underworld, often portrayed as like a bull. But Baal had this presumed power that he controlled the thunder and the rain. He hasn't been doing a good job for a few years, but that's what his presumed power was. One of his titles of Baal was rider of the clouds, all right? That's how they worshipped him. Well, he hadn't been doing a great job with that. And so this showdown is about to take place, and Elijah gathers all of these uh, prophets of Baal and Asherah, another deity, and, the na- and people from the nation. And, there, and the, so there's this huge crowd. I want you to picture this. You're on top of this mountain, probably a plateau up on Mount Carmel, and, and there's, there's well over a thousand people at this, at this showdown, probably several thousand people. We don't know for sure. But there's a large crowd here, okay? This isn't just a few people. Um, there's this huge crowd. And Elijah is about to ask a question and make a statement that's probably the most important part of this entire showdown. I want you to catch this. Verse 21 says this, Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And this next line is amazing to me. What's it say? But the people said what? Nothing. Nothing. Can you imagine this? Elijah just, just busted them. He just called them out. He just told them what they're doing. They, said, they got nothing to say. They got no response. It's just amazing. Let me ask you a question. 
This is going to seem like a weird question, and it is, but it's, it's got a point. How many of you in this room have ever sat on top of a fence? All right, that's a little less than last service. We have, we have these fences all around our houses here in Arizona, so it's not hard to understand this, but if you've ever sat on a fence, and you get the picture, you sit on a fence, you straddle a fence, and you realize, I can see what's happening on this side, I can see what's happening on this side, right? I can engage over here, I can jump over here, I can engage over there, I can jump over there. We actually have some phrases in our culture today where we, where we use this language. If somebody can't make a decision about something, what do we say? They're on the fence about this, right? Meaning they, they don't know if they're going to go this way or that way. Another phrase that we use is this. They're playing both sides of the fence. You've heard that phrase. That is exactly what the people in Israel were doing. They were playing both sides of the fence. Here's the problem. It's not that they weren't worshiping God. They were still doing some of that. The problem was they had added the worship of Baal to their, to their lives. That's why Elijah says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? How long are you going to go back and forth between God and Baal? They were playing both sides. And here's the truth. Our God don't play that. The God we serve does not play that. Understand something. This showdown that's about to take place it's not between Ahab and Elijah. They're the players, yes. This showdown is between Yahweh, God, the almighty God and creator of this universe, and Baal, this deity that has no power at all. This whole thing is about obedience and worship. And God doesn't share his worship, folks. In fact, the Bible tells us that our God is a jealous God. Um, even if you don't know much about the Bible, you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments, right? You remember what the first two commandments are? Thou shalt have what? No other gods before me. There's no question there. No other gods before me. In the second commandment, you shall not make any idol or graven image, for I am a jealous God. God makes it clear what those first two commandments were. And let me give you a side note here. This is for free. That was paid. This is for free. If you keep the first two commandments, you don't have to worry about the other eight. Do you realize that? If God is your true God and you're following him with all your heart and you're not worshiping anything else, you don't have to worry about lying or coveting or murder or those kind of things. Keep the first two commandments. The other ones will fall in line with no problem. All right. Back to this. Friends, here's the truth I want to, here's the transferable truth I want you to understand here. It applies today. There's no sharing when it comes to our worship. Understand that. There's no sharing. Worshiping God can't just be a Sunday thing, friends. There's lots of stuff in life trying to get our attention. Lots of things that we can give our worship to, our worship to and pursuits, money, careers, pleasure, you name it. There's all kinds of things that can, we can go after. The question you and I have to answer, and I mean me as well, is every day I have to ask that question, how long am I going to waver? How am I going to go back and forth? Am I, going to, am I going to worship God on Sunday and then worship whatever I want on Monday? And just, I'll, I'll come back on Sunday and worship God again and the rest of the week's mine? Am I going to worship God? Am I going to obey God? Or am I going to worship fill in your blank? We have to answer that question. Because understand this, you and I have the ability and the power to worship God every day with our lives and all that we have. We just have to choose to use it. Because the power of God flows through simple obedience to him. So let me get back to our story here. Elijah sets up the showdown. Verse 22. Elijah said to them, 
I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Let me pause for just a second. So Baal says, look, here's the teams. It's me against you all. And understand this too. This is not a simple, this, this is a death match. Okay, understand. This is not a, oh, your God did it today. Good job. We'll, we'll come back next week and see who wins next week. No. Whoever loses dies. That's the way that this, this match works. So Elijah says, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces, put it on the wood. Do not set fire to it. Now, I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And let's just say the God who, I don't know, answers by fire, he's the real God. What do the people say? What you say is good. They're like, okay, we agree. We're all in. God who answers by fire, he's the true God. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar that they had made. So I just picture, picture this, hundreds of prophets, and they're dancing around. Come on, Baal, you can do it, and they, they floss, and they did the sprinkler, and they discoed, and they spun around. They did all these dances. Come on, Baal, nothing for hours, nothing, hundreds of them, nothing. And then verse 27, which I think is the most hilarious verse in the Bible, the humorous verse in the Bible. Verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now, I can't help myself here. I got to ask the question. How many of you have ever been taunted? Several of you? Yeah, it's no fun to be taunted, is it? You know, you're doing something, you're working on something, and somebody comes along and starts making fun of it, or, or making fun of you, or telling you that's not going to work, or making jokes about what you're doing. No fun to be taunted, is it? But it's always fun to do the taunting, isn't it? Come on, even if it's wrong, it's always fun to do the taunting. We've all been there. It's fun to do the trash talking. I believe Elijah is enjoying himself here. Look what he says, okay? Shout louder, he says. Picture this, they're dancing, shout louder. Surely he is a god. There's no sarcasm in that, I know. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Maybe, you know, maybe he's off somewhere thinking, your god. Or busy. And actually, one of the translations translates this as being indisposed or maybe going to the restroom. Maybe he's, maybe he's out back right now. Or traveling. Maybe, maybe Baal's on a trip and he can't hear you. Or maybe he's sleeping. It needs to be awakened. Elijah's having fun here. So look what they do, and this is where it gets sad. So they, they shouted louder. But then they began slashing themselves with swords and spears in this next line, as was their custom. This was not a new thing. This is how they worshiped these deities, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid 
attention. Friends, in the, in the ancient world, there was a, there was a belief that um, if, you, if you did well, if you did the right things, you could appease the God, and it would go well with you. You would please your God. If you, if you didn't do things well, it wouldn't go well with you if, you if you didn't please the God. And if you didn't hear anything, if nothing happened, then you would increase your intensity. And that's what happens here. Nothing's happening. They increase their intensity. intensity. And one, one of the convictions that people, that, that people believed about these deities was that what the deity really wanted was your blood. That he wanted your blood. And that's why they would cut themselves. And it's sad. They would often sacrifice people. They would sacrifice their own children to try to appease these ancient deities. Folks, one, 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 one of the, of the major differences between our God... Jehovah, Yahweh, the one true God. And these ancient deities is that our God doesn't long for blood. Our God shed his own blood for us. Amen. Our God doesn't want our destruction. Our God wants us to flourish in life. Our God doesn't want us to be sacrificed for him. He came and became the sacrifice for us. Amen. That's when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to be our sacrifice. And when we put our faith and trust in him, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells our lives and lives in our lives and gives us the power to live for him forever. That should get us excited. Folks, the power of God flows through simple obedience to him. Before I move on, I want want to bring up the last part of verse 29 again because I want you to notice the hopelessness of worshiping any other God other than Yahweh. Look at the end of verse 29. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. These prophets, these people had had committed their entire lives to this deity, and when they needed him most, no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. And friends, let me just say this. If we worship anything but God, the one true God, that will be our reality. So let's pick it up in verse 30. And this is the part of the story where the, the music starts to build. Dun, 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 dun. Here we go. Verse 30. Then Elijah says to the people, come here to me. They came to him. He repaired the altar of God that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, not infinity stones. That's a different story. But he took 12 stones one for each of the tribes from Jacob, whom the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two saves, or about five gallons of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and the wood. Seems kind of odd, right? Verse 34, Do it again. He said, And they did it again. Do it a third time. He ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So Elijah here says, okay, it's my turn. You guys have had all day, nothing. It's my turn. And so Elijah, the first thing he does, he rebuilds the altar, an altar that probably had been torn down by by, uh, Ahab or Jezebel. And he rebuilds it, and he gets the sacrifice ready. And then he does this whole water thing. Why does he do that? Because Elijah wants to make sure that they understand there's no trick involved here. I'm going to make it impossible for anybody to light a match 
and light this wood and light this sacrifice. You guys are going to know that this is not some trick that I put up here. Elijah is about to access the power. And understand, Elijah does not possess the power. Just like you and I do not possess the power, you and I have the ability to access it. And pay attention to how he does it. Look at this verse, starting in verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and don't miss this next part, and I have done all the things at your command, all these things at your command. I have been obedient to you. Remember, the power flows through obedience. Answer me, Lord, answer me. Why? So that the people will know that you are the Lord our God, and I love this last line, and that you are turning their hearts back again. There is so much love with our God. He, his, his goal here is redemption. He said, I want, I want these people back. I love them. I care about them. I want to show them that. Elijah prayed here, folks. He, he didn't dance a jig, right? He didn't scream and wail. He didn't slice and dice himself. He prayed. He knew that the power was within Yahweh, and he knew that he could access that power through simple obedience to him, and watch what happens. Verse 38, you know the story. Then the fire of the Lord fell down, burned up the offering, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also, that's my sound effect, licked up the water in the trench. Now, I don't know about you, but this is where I believe Elijah started dancing, and he's singing the song, I got the power, woo! And he's pulling it down right here. He's pumped up at this point, right? It was powerful, and I know it was powerful. I don't know, I don't know what kind of you know, fireball or, or lightning bolt came down out of the sky in a clear blue day, but it was powerful. Look at the reaction, verse 39. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They fell on their faces immediately and cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Yes, he's the God. God Almighty, our Savior, our Lord, makes it clear who the one true God is here. The people of Israel are immediately <laughs> done wavering. They, they didn't step down off the fence. They got knocked off the fence. And look at verse 40. I told you about this earlier. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anybody get away. They seized them. Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Elijah finishes the job, and in doing so, he reminds his friends that the power of God flows through simple obedience to him. And that power is accessible to anybody who's a follower of Jesus. As I wrap this up, I want to I apply this to our lives, and I want to use a, a verse out of the New Testament in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there, otherwise it'll be up on the screen. But I want to explain how, how this works in our lives today. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And, he, and he, he's with his disciples one more time before this happens. And this is what he says to them. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You, you know this verse possibly. He says, but you will receive what, folks? Say it with me. Power. One more time. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? So you can be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Ahwatukee. To the ends of the earth. Friends, when you become, what does this mean? When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells your life. You have access to that power, the greatest power in this universe. 
When the Holy Spirit indwells you, he gives to you what is called spiritual gifts. The Bible talks about this. And those gifts might be in serving, they might be in teaching, they might be in hospitality, they might be in leadership, they might be in showing mercy, in leadership. There's a number of them the Bible talks about. Here's the thing. These gifts are designed, are given to us in order to be used and combined with the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? In order to bring glory to God. That's what they're all about. So how do I, how do I access this power that you say I have, Dwayne? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's really much simpler than you might realize. It truly is. You see, whenever, whenever you use the gifts the Holy Spirit has given you, you access that power. If you have the gift of teaching, and you're teaching in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's power will flow through you in that teaching. If you have the gift of, of, of uh, serving, when you serve in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's power will flow through you in your serving, and so on and so forth. It's that simple. You see, the gifts the Holy Spirit has given us are meant to be used. The problem is we often simply fail to use and develop them. We don't have a power problem. We have an obedience problem. You see, our gifts need to be developed. Just like, I'll go back to my illustration, just like a superhero needs to develop and utilize their gifts. We all know that. It's the same when you and I, when it comes to our spiritual gifts. We've got to use them. We've got to develop them. We've got to um, put them to, to use. This means, what this means is we have to get off the fence in our lives. We, 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 whatever fence we might be on, whatever, whatever else we're giving our worship to, whatever else that is in the way of giving our whole worship and obedience to God, we need to, we need to put that aside. Here at Mount Park, we have, uh, you, you'll hear this all the time, we have what we call the three makas. Pastor Jan talked about this a few weeks ago. Make a memory, make a friend, make a difference. And here's what that is. All that is is a discipleship strategy for helping you access the power that God has made available to you. And I want to tell you, that power will be most utilized when all three of those makas are part of your life. Picture like a three-legged stool. You sit on it, it's firm. You take one leg away, you can still sit on it, but you're going you're to wobble around a little bit. Folks, coming to church on Sunday and making a memory with God is great, but when you combine that with making a friend and making a difference, being in community, serving, giving, going with other folks, utilizing the gifts that you have, developing the gifts you have. When you do that, that's when you're singing, I got the power, come on. That's when that'll be true of your life and that's when God's power will be flowing through you and you will be doing what we call around here, realizing your role in God's story. I have a simple challenge for you today as I wrap this up. Two questions, one that you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself and continue to ask myself. Here it is. Where am I wavering in my life? You need to ask yourself that question. What's, what's getting the majority of my attention? What's taking my, my attention away from where it needs to be in order for Jesus to be Lord of my life? Where am I wavering? We need to wrestle with that question. All of us do. And secondly, what is your spiritual gift? Are you developing it? Are you using it? If you don't know, don't feel bad. Let's, let's talk. Let's get you on a path of discovery. God's power is accessible to all of us who follow Jesus Christ. Let's use it for his glory. Be the hero that God has called you to be. Allow God to write a greatest hit story through your life. Friends, you want the power? You got the power. His power flows through simple obedience to him. Let's utilize it. Will you pray with me? 
Lord God, thank you again for this day. Father, what a joy it has been to watch people take that next step in the waters of baptism. And Lord, as you have given us these stories in your word, Lord, they're not just for our entertainment. They're not just for us to read and say, oh, that's really cool. Lord, you've given them to us to apply to our lives, Lord, to make a difference in our lives so that you will be glorified, Father. May we wrestle with these questions, Father. May we take those next steps, and may you be glorified. And all God's people said, amen.